Monday on Ag News Daily. We've been there since 1941, and before that, the painters came over towards the Pittsburgh area. Um, so we've been in in the country for a long time. Our ancestors were actually um, there at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Well, here we are. We made it, some could say, to the last show of 2023. Uh, what a daily grind it is, Delaney. It is. Yes, I was just thinking that as well. I almost, when you said 2023, was expecting you to say 2024. I'm already switching over in my brain. Yeah, it. I don't know what it is about this year, but I would agree. It feels like uh, I'm more apt to say 24. Um, I'm sure once we get into 24, it'll be the opposite, and I'll continue to be writing 2023 for a while. Maybe because it's an odd year some people don't like odd numbers are you one of those people so you're just inclined to go ahead and switch to 2024 already because it's a little more round of a number i hadn't thought about that but maybe that is part of it i do look forward to the olympics so it'll be interesting to see how those shape up coming in 24 of course we're going to have an election year there's going to probably be no shortage of news but let's get our last little short weather blip I think you're going to add on the top of the news this morning. We do have dense fog tonight and into tomorrow. That will give way to a variety of weather conditions in parts of central Nebraska. The National Weather Service said that the visibility could be less than a mile tomorrow morning. That followed by some thunderstorms that could roll into the area Saturday night and into Sunday. Rain might change to snow in parts of Nebraska on Christmas Day as colder air moves into the area. But as those storms continue to push east, it's going to make most of the Midwest wet and soggy for Christmas Day. Only minor accumulations are expected for those areas to where it will switch over to snow. But Delaney, you said this morning you saw that there might be a clash of the storms in our forecast. Yes, that's right. DTN's meteorologist had an article he put out yesterday afternoon looking at three different storms that are going to potentially clash together somewhere around the Plains or the Midwest area. The three different storms, Tanner, that are set up right now, there's one off of Hawaii that's expected to move into uh, the western part of the United States early next week. There's one over Alaska that's expected to move into the West sometime around this next day or two and then move into the Midwest on the 24th or the 25th. And then there's also a storm system sitting right now off the coast of California that will likely drift eastward around the 22nd, 23rd. And what he's saying is likely all three of these storms will come together somewhere around the Plains or Midwest around the 24th, 25th, or 26th. We don't know what's going to happen when all three of those storms clash, but he said that there's a lot of energy built up in each of these three storm systems. They could dissipate before they get to the Plains or Midwest too, but he said that's probably unlikely. The more likely scenario is that they continue to build energy and there's some sort of explosion of storms, if you will somewhere in the Plains or Midwest region, which could bring wet weather. It could bring some heavy snowfall, but yet to be seen. But uh, that's just something to keep an eye on out there. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, winter storm level warning, Tanner, or if it's just going to be a lot of energy and there's going to be a lot of precipitation coming in from each of those storms. But either way, it's something to keep an eye on here, as I know a lot of folks will be traveling for their Christmas seasons. 
That's right. I'm glad that you caught that article. I do see here we did not have an explosion in ethanol output. The output did fall to the lowest in the last three weeks while inventories surged to their highest. So maybe some pre-holiday travel hunkering down for the ethanol market. Production of the biofuel declined to an average of 1.071 million barrels per day. That's down from 1.074, so not a huge drop. But the inventories that week jumped up to 22.906. That's up from 22.1, so a significant less amount less of ethanol moving during the week of this report came out, Delaney. Well, Tanner, while we're talking about ethanol, uh, the North Dakota pipeline is going to see it taken to a hearing that can local zoning rules trump state pipeline regulations. That's going to be the question that's taken to this hearing and a key question that North Dakota's Public Service Commission is taking up. The Public Service Commission left the question hanging earlier this year when they denied carbon Summit Carbon Solutions, a permit for their carbon capture pipeline, but is going to start hearing arguments on that issue today, Thursday at 2 p.m. It seems like an odd time, Tanner, to start picking up arguments on this issue ahead of Christmas time, but that is when they scheduled it. Whether that was done on purpose or not, I'm not sure, Uh, but nonetheless, they will start hearing arguments from that today. So that will go on today, Tanner, and that's all we know for now. I wonder if that's on the cusp of what we had rulings here in Iowa for Story County. And I can't remember the other, if it was Calhoun or which it was, stating that those county ordinances couldn't ban a pipeline, uh, that it would not be able to put special rules in place. So quite interesting there. We do have some veteran opportunity for those that who have served. Thanks for their service. Range to Range is an innovative program that Montana State University in Bozeman is using to help recruit ranchers. So now there is a program for veterans who have served to get educated in the well-versed trade of being a rancher. They can join the College of Agriculture to where the ranch management program that was created in 2020 will provide the opportunity for a bachelor of science degree that will connect students with ranches in the area and all across the west this program now has 31 students and four of them are veterans and those four veterans are leading the charge to recruit more the military personnel that have spent many of hours on the battlefield or in strategic placements are usually looking for some way to improve their mental health post-service. One of the proven methods to do this, Delaney, is to be outdoors. And one of the professions that spends an ample amount of time outdoors is those that manage rangeland cattle. So through this program, they will get the education necessary to move into ranching. They are older than most other graduate students and therefore by nature are more responsible and have a more well-defined work ethic which is what ranch owners are looking to hire so kind of a neat program going on out in the west delaney that certainly does sound like an interesting program tanner but uh, speaking of programs today is uh, one of the first days that you can start signing up for your arc or plc coverage for the 2024 growing season now before you go rushing to 
your local FSA office, there's a couple of things to think of this year because signup has started to change as we look at the 2024 growing season. The FSA administrator, Zach Dachanel, has stated that farmers should avoid the rush and contact their local FSA officers for an appointment to enroll. Not only that, but this year the reference prices are changing for both ARC and PLC payments. However, it's not super clear on how those are changing. As we know, uh, this year's signup is starting a little bit later than normal, mostly because the 2018 Farm Bill was in limbo until Congress extended the programs. But nonetheless, the programs will be changing this year. The other big change that may be different for farmers is you're going to have to physically go into your FSA office, even if you are not changing your program selection, to sign a physical contract. Uh, There's no sort of electronic contract or mailing contract. You have to physically go to your FSA office to enroll. You've got a lot of time to enroll though, Tanner. So the enrollment deadline for ARC and PLC is March 15th of 2024. That's also the same day that A lot of farmers will have crop insurance plans due for the year as well. So you could do a two for there and just lock them in at the same time. But as I mentioned about the enrollment and reference prices, the USDA recently put out a news release telling everyone that the enrollment program is open, but they made no mention about what the changes to the ARC benchmark prices or PLC effective reference prices for 2024 are going to be. Uh, The reporter that wrote this article also went to their website and again, did not find anything noting the changes specifically to reference prices. Their website says, yes, there is a change in reference prices, but they weren't published for farmers. So under the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, reference prices are said to be effective reference prices will be calculated to allow upward fluctuation or reference prices in time periods when historic price averages are higher than the established reference price for the covered commodity. That is what the USDA provides as guidance for the change for this year's <laughs> reference. And that's so clear. So again, uh, Administrator Dushanow is encouraging you to talk to your local FSA agent before you make your decision on which of those two coverage levels you go with. And I guess there's strong reason for that, Tanner. Yeah, I think that's right. Make your appointment and go get the information for yourself. Got a follow-up article today. I think it's been almost two months since we reported on this headline. But Colorado officials have officially released their first of five gray wolves that they bought from Oregon as part of the repopulation plan that was a part of the 2020 ballot initiative. The two cattle organizations that were delaying or at least trying to delay the release of these wolves had their stay denied by a federal judge. The release was then put in place. The lawsuit will continue, but Judge Regina Rodriguez stated that Colorado can proceed with its plan to move up to 10 wolves into the area. So five wolves have been released, according to the Associated Press. The Colorado Cattlemen's Association and Gunnison County Stock Growers Association says they've got their concerns about looming wolf and livestock conflicts that will not sufficiently be resolved by the Parks and Wildlife Commission. Now, each of these wolves that has been released does have a collar for tracking, so they will be able to monitor if this becomes an issue. 
But according to the Cattlemen's Association, why introduce a problem if we know the problem could potentially happen? Wolves are being reintroduced into the Rocky Mountains as part of uh, this plan that was voted on in the ballot of 2020. Voters of the state near, narrowly passed Proposition 114, giving state officials the ability to do this. And right now they have released five. There's two males and three females uh, that have been released in Colorado. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. All right. Well, the last a couple of headlines here I have, Tanner, uh, as we talk about avian influenza, the U.S. this year is detecting fewer cases of the disease in wild birds that transmit the virus to poultry flocks, according to the USDA. A potentially positive development for farmers and consumers as things might be starting to slow down a little bit here as we head into the new season. However, in Europe, that is certainly not the case as wild birds have continued to infect flocks and herds there across many European nations, Tanner. But uh, I think aside from the Israel-Hamas conflict, I'm out of major headlines for today. Yeah, just a couple of short headlines there, and I know you've got more. The World World Health Organization is continuing to observe unbearable scenes during their recent mission to northern Gaza and to tour the no longer functioning hospital. The U.S. intelligence agencies stated that Hamas have credibility and influence in the area that has grown over the last two months, and their numbers are continuing to grow. The Hamas made a statement on Thursday that said Palestinian factions will not agree to any attacks without or any talks about prisoner swaps until the Israelis and its military operations in Gaza. So the apparent ceasefire negotiation that was going to release 40 more hostages, unfortunately, doesn't seem like it will be happening anytime soon. Yes, well, we also saw the top Hamas leader make a visit to Egypt seeking to help with the negotiation of another potential ceasefire, Tanner. But it appears that that is not going well, and the commodity markets are primarily focused on the Houthi rebel attacks on civilian ships in the Red Sea region. Uh, A number of shipping companies are choosing to once again avoid travel through the Suez Canal and the Red Sea until their safety can be guaranteed, and it's apparent that's not going to be likely for a long time. The United States is also actively working to help set up a coalition of nations that would provide escorts for ships. But it sounds like that is going to take quite some time to piece together as many nations simply don't want to get involved in engaging in this conflict. Uh, We're also seeing Somalian pirates taking advantage of the situation and striking ships that are parked in the Red Sea area as well. And so shippers are looking for ways to reroute cargoes around the southern tip of Africa to avoid going through that area altogether. It adds a lot of transit time to their uh, travel time. And also adds, of course, transit expenses. But that is kind of the short-term plan, it sounds like, for a lot of shippers right now who are dealing with some tremendous amount of logistics. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I wonder if those headlines are having any effects in the markets overnight. It doesn't seem to be having a huge effect tonight or heading into the morning session, I should say, as uh, we wrap up our holiday week here getting into Christmas next week markets will be closed on Monday and will reopen Tuesday morning 
Of course, they have one more trading session tomorrow before we head into Christmas break, but nonetheless, volume is pretty low as we head into that final stretch of the year. March corn today down, or excuse me, up a half a cent in the overnight at 470. March soybeans down a penny and three quarters at 1314. Chicago March wheat up four and three quarters cents at 614 and three quarters. Hard red winter wheat will open four and three quarters cents higher at 629 and three quarters. And March spring wheat is up three pennies on the board at 721. As we take a look at livestock here, Tanner, this is where they will open here today. February live cattle at a dollar 70 30. January feeder cattle at 224.05 after adding $2.15 on the board yesterday. And February lean hogs shed 32.5 cents yesterday to open this morning at 70.22.5. To wrap up our final conversation of the year, we're chatting yogurt today, Tanner, with a very prominent yogurt influencer, I'm going to say. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Tanner, today's conversation is going to be a really fun one, really unique one here, because we're chatting with Haley Painter, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Painterland Sisters. Her sister Stephanie and her started this yogurt company uh, many years ago, and we're going to get into her background. For those of our listeners wondering, no, she is not Amish coming from the state of Pennsylvania, but her family does run a dairy farm that she and her sister have leveraged into this yogurt company. Haley, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really excited to chat with you about your story. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to tell you a little bit about us and the things that make us tick. Absolutely. So as you think about the dairy farm that you grew up in there, and you say the rolling hills of Tioga County, Pennsylvania, am I pronouncing that correctly? Tioga. Ah, okay. <laughs> Tell us a little bit so more crazy. about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in north central Pennsylvania, it's a really rural part of our state. We live in one of the darkest places in the northeast. So it is beautiful stars, a lot of open land, a lot of hilly land. So we have a lot of grazing animals, and that's what's best for our area. And then we do also for agriculture purposes, we also do corn and silage and other commodities like that. But with the big rolling hills, it's important that we also diversify and have the grazing animals. So we have a little bit of both crop and a dairy farm. That's exciting. And it's fun for our listeners that are out of the Midwest to get some perspective because we don't have a lot of what you just described. So has your family been in that area for quite some time? Yeah, we've been there since 1941, and before that, the painters came over towards the Pittsburgh area, um, so we've been in, in the country for a long time. Our ancestors were actually um, there at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, um, and then our, some of our other ancestors helped start the Pennsylvania Railroad, and um, let's see, they brought the first milking shorthorns um, to the country, so that was and our dairy roots. So we, we run some milking short horns and other crossbred, all different breeds of cattle. So Haley, how did you go from growing up on a dairy farm to then eventually starting your own yogurt company with your sister, Stephanie? Yeah, so we grew up on the farm. We felt rich, even though as most farmers, you know, we never have too much extra money. Um, as we got out into the world, we realized how disconnected you know, our farm was to the world and how very, you know, 
consumers don't really understand what we do as farmers. And so we got really a fire under our belt to be able to tell that story, but also the markets in the dairy industry, pretty unstable here and there. Um, and we struggled and were worried about, you know, if one day we'd have to lose our cows or what happens to our dairy market. And so we wanted to create stability with our market and connection um, to farmers, to the rest of the world. And so that's what we set out on. And so we established a yogurt company. We started at March of 2022. And so it's only been a little over a year and a half. And it's a national company now. We sell it in every state but Alaska. And it's using a couple farms in our area and we can expand to even more. And it's pretty cool to see, you know, our farms milk and these other farmers in places like Hawaii. That's exciting. I didn't expect you to say Hawaii. So that's cool that you've made this into a national company. What were some of the key things you did to be able to extend outside of your state? Um, just mix and mingle with the agriculture world that we can really use our platform to expand out into other industries like CPG, which is consumer packaged goods. Did not know that was the industry I was in until we already launched the yogurt, by the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we mixed and mingled and we weren't afraid to ask questions, ask for help, ask for advice, but overall just keep, keep hustling towards it, towards the, the vision, which was to create that sustainability. Yeah. And on your website, you guys are very focused on highlighting the organic and regenerative practices that you use on your family farm. Talk to us about what some of those practices look like and what kind of questions have you gotten from consumers about some of these practices and how they relate to the yogurt? Yeah. Um, so the organic regenerative practices, we're certified organic. We've been since probably 2003 a uh, big part about being organic is having your cattle grazed. We have so much pasture. It really makes sense for us in the area. Organic doesn't make sense for all farmers. I truly believe finding these niches in the area so that we can, there's plenty of consumers out there. We can all um, access them in different ways. And so on our farm, it makes sense to have these organic regenerative practices with these huge rolling hills, ability to rotationally graze them, get the brush taken off, um, use those low inputs and and to be able to work together with, with those areas that, you know, ultimately won't be used if we didn't have these grazing cattle. So what's it like working with family? You know, we introduced you as co-CEO, and I think there's very few companies out there that would have a CEO share their title with somebody else. Yes, <laughs> we get that a lot. You know, I told you about asking for advice, and they always say, so who's going to be the CEO? We decided to be co-CEOs, but head up different departments and ultimately um, make uh, major decisions for the future um, together. And we grew up, you know, 13 cousins, my, my dad and his two uncles, or my dad and his two brothers own our family farm, Painterland Farms, together. They're the third generation. So we grew up every morning, first get up, we feed the cows, um, we're uh, feed the cows, milk the cows. We all come in at like 9 a.m. and eat together. So when you can sit across from somebody every day, have conversations, you can work with them a lot better. And so we really value the ability to work with family, especially when the youth comes up and you still get to work with the elderly. Like we, we all stay together. And so we got to see that firsthand when starting a company, although it's extremely challenging at times, we know how it's going to be worthwhile. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's challenging and rewarding all at the same time as I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to. When you think back to that discussion that you and Stephanie had about starting the yogurt company, you know, what you said it was 2020, so it's still fairly fresh for you guys. So I'm sure that conversation or that moment is fresh for you as well. But was there one moment or one conversation when you guys decided this was the next best step for you? Or did it just kind of morph organically and you found yourself here today? Many, many conversations with Stephanie and I amongst our whole family. Um, honestly, one of the most vigorous conversations is what are we going to name this thing? Right. <laughs> so we ended up naming it Painterland Sisters, named after Painterland Farms. So we wanted to pay heritage to the farm, but still have that twist and connection for consumers that were sisters, we're a family company. Um, my brothers and my cousins were like, because they're a bunch of boys, like, why do you have to name it Sisters? Like, can't you just name it Heifers or something like that? That's more about the dairy farm. <laughs> we are not naming our company Painterland Heifers. That is. <laughs> That's key. So as you look to the future and what you talked about, all the opportunities for growth, what are you most excited about in 2024? I am. So Stephanie and I just got named Forbes 30 under 30, which is exciting. And I'm excited to use that platform and to continue getting our yogurts to different areas um, to expand out and to become um, even more stabilized. Again, we only launched March of 2022. So what we've done is we've opened while looking to keep growing, we needed funding. A lot of people look towards the bank for food brands. That's not really an option after a little while. So you go to big investors. I thought, why go to big investors when I have so many of my community members who are so invested? Maybe they don't have enough money to give me you know, a million dollars. But with community support, we opened up an investing round. So like all of our friends and family and community can invest. And it's Really cool to see the agriculture community step up in this area and to support something as a mission to sustain the market for generations. Wow, that's really neat. And I think a really unique approach to, like you said, going a different route for investors. And I'm sure folks in your local community want you guys to succeed as well. So I'm sure it's a full circle moment for them as well. Haley, unfortunately, we're running out of time for today's conversation, but... I did want to make sure you give a plug for your social media channels, your website, and all of that good stuff so our listeners can check you out after the interview. Yeah, so go to painterlandsisters.com. We're big on Instagram, Facebook, even Pinterest. You can check out our cute cow photos. You can check out where to buy the yogurt in 49 states everywhere but Alaska. I encourage you to try it and yeah, to send us a message if you want to get connected to hear more about what we do on our farm. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining today, Haley. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you go, listeners. A fun Friday conversation on the last Thursday of the year. We truly appreciate you hanging out with us for 2023. We wish you all the best with your families during this holiday season, and we wish that you rejoin us again in 2024. Right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. With that, Let's uh, wish our listeners a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.